It's a journalist's worst nightmare. Your phone has been tracked in an attempt to unlock the secrets of your sources. It sounds like something from a bad Hollywood thriller, but it was all too real for our guest this episode, Christina Criddle. The Financial Times journalist received a mysterious phone call from a TikTok representative telling her to read a New York Times story that detailed how supposedly rogue employees had tracked journalists using their own app. Here we speak to her about how she felt, whether this was a one-off appearance or a chilling sign for press freedom, and the ongoing saga that is TikTok. I'm Chris Stokel Walker, and for Human Rights Organization Article 19, this is Tectonic. Christina Criddle, welcome to Tectonic. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming along. And I'm insanely jealous of your TikTok stories that you've been doing because um, you've been getting scoop after scoop about what's been going on in that company. And, and this is why we have you on to, to kind of talk a little bit about how that reporting maybe led to some trouble with the company. But maybe we should start from kind of first principles. What was it that got you interested in covering TikTok in the first place? Yeah, I'm very jealous of your reporting as well. I guess that's natural. Whenever we see yeah. something come out, we're like, oh, wish I'd got that one. Um, but I basically turned my attention to TikTok after it started blowing up in the pandemic. This right here is my favorite thing ever in the history of forever. I think about this every day. I think about this all night long. All cultures should be shared with the world because they're so beautiful and we're just so grateful that we get to do that on TikTok. And it's time for the TikTok Trend Report. And this is why we love TikTok. From the canine canoodling to the timeless couple showing us all how to spark alive, scrolling these TikTok trends will surely have you in your feels. It was clearly a very popular app, very addictive. I was using it a lot. My friends were using it a lot. And I wanted to dig down into the business behind it and find out what was going on at the company and whether that really matched the fun, entertainment-based platform that I was using. And, and what did you find out? That the culture that you see on the app isn't necessarily the culture that you'll find in its offices. In what way? Hi. I just quit my job at TikTok. Let's talk about it. So when I was going about my reporting, I was just trying to speak to people inside the company, mostly in the London and other European offices, and wanted to find out what it was like to work there. And they basically told me that it was a toxic workplace, that they would have to work all hours of the day to communicate with teams in China, where TikTok's parent company is based, ByteDance. Um, and they said that if they tried to speak out about things, they would get shouted at, they were given unrealistic targets, and it all culminated in this picture of it not being a very pleasant place to work and not a place that really matched British values of what our working conditions should be like. And I wrote this piece that got quite a bit of attention where an executive from ByteDance who was heading up the e-commerce efforts at TikTok in London basically told staff, including quite a few women, that as a capitalist, he didn't believe in maternity leave. Which is a surprising from a Chinese executive that they're so loving of capitalism, I suppose, but also 
be just absolutely horrific on all fronts. There are lots of people I spoke to there, women with kids, women who were thinking about having kids who heard that comment and it just really shook them and made them question whether they really had a future at that company. And obviously it's interesting because TikTokers, there is this supposition that it kind of came from nowhere and was an overnight success story and and lucked into this whereas actually and you'll know from from digging into this with ByteDance the parent company is this huge monolith a kind of tech giant in China and has you know years of experience of kind of engineering success ByteDance is arguably one of the biggest app companies in the world Its apps have threatened the dominance of Facebook and Instagram. It has even been touted as a rival to new sites such as BuzzFeed. Valued at over $100 billion, ByteDance is also one of the most valuable tech startups. Is this indicative of just a tech company being a tech company and and kind of being capitalist as that executive said and and kind of wanting to get the most out of its workers or is there something different in how ByteDance and and through it TikTok and the other apps that it runs operates that we should kind of you mentioned British values earlier that we we might think about as kind of different or, or unique there's definitely different types of working values in China. There's a term called 996, which is the common working pattern there. Um, and so I think some of that attitude was brought towards its offices elsewhere in the world. Similarly, though, when a company is scaling really quickly, startup culture can often feel quite intense. There is this crunch. Um, Facebook in its early days said, move fast and break things. So It's not necessarily unique to TikTok, but the level of people leaving at that time, I found quite shocking. Today is my last working day at Balance. I am a project manager for TikTok Music based in Beijing. Well, I was before. Um, So I actually decided to hand in my resignation today. There were a lot of challenges and I just couldn't be there anymore. What really struck me was how it was at odds with how it was presenting itself externally. Mm. And I think, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? TikTok is this place for happiness, for freedom of expression, for being who you want. And then it seems like behind the scenes, it's something quite different. Exactly. And I think also the other thing that was interesting was while all of this was going on, TikTok for years has had these underlying concerns raised by politicians, by activists about how secure it is given it's owned by a Chinese company. And so whilst all the negativity towards the corporate culture within the London office was being reported on, so were the security concerns about the safety of users' privacy on the platform. Mm, And and we should probably get into that. So obviously... The allegation here is from sometimes majority Republicans in the United States, but also increasingly Democrats in in the US and from a kind of China hawk perspective in the UK, but again, also with increasing cross-party consensus and the European Commission, the European Union, where it's kind of just an institutional thing that there is a risk here in terms of the links. What is that kind of... The, the justification or the concerns that those political bodies have about what TikTok is doing and, and the kind of the impact that it can have on freedom of speech, freedom of expression and all of that stuff. 
There are laws in China that the Chinese state have put in place, which mean that companies that operate in China will have to hand over their data to the state. Now, ByteDance and TikTok has always maintained that it would never do that. Um, there are also controls in the country where they control the algorithm and they have visibility of the algorithm. So that's another concern. And what skeptics about TikTok safety say is that it can be used to track people to target people but also it can be used as a tool of propaganda this i want to say this to all the teenagers out there and then tiktok influencers who think we're just old and out of touch and don't know what we're talking about trying to take away your favorite app you may not care that your data is being accessed now but it will be one day when you do care about it and here's the real problem with data comes power they can choose what you see and how you see it they can make you believe things that are not true even if it is not happening yet it could in the future the long-term goal of the chinese communist party is the demise of the american power and that starts with our youth at any moment they could demand that all of tiktok's data be used to design an ai algorithm with the sole purpose of promoting chinese interests and destroying our society from within. You want to know why Democrats and Republicans have come together on this? That's why we are so concerned. Thank you, and I yield back. And again, in China, media is very closely limited and censored. And on Douyin, the Chinese version of TikTok, also owned by ByteDance, certain content is not allowed on there. And there have been similar stories about certain types of content potentially being limited on TikTok as well. And so those concerns about whether it could be used as a tool to only serve users in the West, certain types of content has been raised. Mr. Chu, as CEO of TikTok, why have you not directed your engineers to change this source code? Uh, Congressman, um, if you give me a bit of time to just No, I, I don't. I, it's a yes or no question. Have you directed your engineers to change that source code? I, I'm not sure I understand. Why it. are you allowing TikTok to continue to have the capacity for censorship, and yet you claim here that you don't? Let me it remind doesn't. you of something. Do you realize that making false and misleading statements to Congress is a federal crime? Yes, I do. Okay. So have you directed your engineers to change that source code? I am giving third-party access monitoring okay. by experts. And, and uh, Congressman, you, you are an expert on this. You could agree with me that no other and, and that's the thing, isn't it? It, it is uh, a real live concern and one that has literally existed because we have seen from prior reporting of kind of content moderation guidelines that essentially you mentioned Douyin there, the, the kind of Chinese sister version of TikTok, which functionally looks pretty much the same, acts pretty much the same, except it has that propaganda tab on it, um, the positive energy tab, which is fantastically named. They essentially ported wholesale content moderation guidelines, and with that, a sort of Chinese sensibility towards what is and isn't acceptable, both in terms of beauty standards, ugly people, and ugly here meaning kind of not thin, not sort of traditionally beautiful or previously kind of downplayed on the app. TikTok, for its part, usually says to me when I go to them about that sort of stuff, well, that was all in the past. That's all changed. Do you see any remnants of that kind of sensibility still lingering like a ghost in the machine? 
I have to say recently I haven't. I think TikTok is very aware of these criticisms and every time something like that is raised, it's very bad news for them. So I think they have tried a lot to address that. And the thing that I don't really understand about the rhetoric around it being a propaganda machine, I also had people and politicians saying, oh, well, on Doyin, children only get educational content. And, you know, adults don't get as much trash on there. But if you were to do that in, in the UK or in the US, that is a form of censorship in itself. So how would that align with our values in democratic societies? So th- there's a lot of questions I have about the rhetoric and the motivations for going after TikTok. What are some of those questions that you have? Well, that's one of them is if it's going to be a way to restrict certain companies from entering the US market. Mm. That's a question for me because they they haven't had the same concerns about very similar social media platforms like Facebook or Instagram saying, oh, you should only allow educational content. Now we know that there's been lots of concerns about the impact of all of these platforms on our mental health, but TikTok seems to be getting a lot more fire at the moment. And then the other concern I have is how deeply felt these security concerns are as well. We'll get into my story in a bit, but Mm. I think in terms of evidence of the Chinese state really compelling TikTok to track anybody on its behalf, it just isn't there. And so you can definitely criticize the company for doing that. I don't know if you can criticize its links to the Chinese state. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out because I think this often gets overlooked and there are two kind of separate things here you can absolutely abhor the chinese state's approach to freedom of expression freedom of speech human rights abuses and murder of people in xinjiang province and other things while also thinking that tiktok is not necessarily a terrible thing and and, you know I know that I've looked very, very hard to find that evidence. I'm sure you've probably been working as hard, if not even harder, to try and find it. And I mean, why do you think that then this suspicion still lingers? I think it is a concern. And like I say, there are laws in China which could compel these companies to do these things. It might not have happened yet, but it could do in the future. And also in China, the state's grip on companies, especially companies of such high value like ByteDance is quite strict. They have a golden share arrangement with ByteDance, um, which does give them certain veto powers over decisions and has, you know, director presence there. So those concerns aren't to be entirely dismissed. I just don't know if I've seen enough evidence of it to really say we should ban it yeah. completely. It's that kind of suspicious side eye isn't it that we always have to look at them with it's it's notable that you know ByteDance says it's not a Chinese company it prefers to say that it's based in the Cayman Islands which comes with all of these other kind of questions around tax and things like that rather than sort of publicly profess that that link to China um but you you say that there are still these questions, there's you know, still these concerns. You have been reporting on this a lot and you know, giving ByteDance and TikTok, I think probably their, their fair share of, of bruises. What has the relationship historically been like between you and ByteDance and TikTok PR? Um, 
I think relationships with PRs, as you'll know, um, are always one of a little bit of tension. And if it's all good, then you're probably not doing your job very well as a journalist. Mm. But um, honestly, I found the press office to be quite cooperative and we work together because that's the nature of the reporting. Mm. And then you got a phone call before Christmas. Yes. So this was a press officer who I've known for a long time. It was a few days before Christmas. Uh, She messaged me first at 4pm and just said, can we have a chat? And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, there's nothing immediate that I would need to speak to them about. But I was like, yeah, sure. Okay, we'll chat in an hour, which is when they wanted to speak. So then about 5pm, I didn't get a call and I was feeling quite anxious and I just wanted to clock off for the day also. So I, I gave her a call and I just tried to get through. She didn't pick up. Then a few minutes later, she called me and the call lasted less than a minute. She was clearly wanting to get off the phone as soon as possible. Her voice was quite shaky and she just said, um, I think you should read the New York Times. I'm telling you this as a courtesy. And I was like, oh, well, can you tell me what the story's about? Like, can you tell me what the headline is? Can you tell me why you're telling me? And she just went, it's on the New York Times. It's about TikTok, an inquiry, and you can give me a call back. And then she pretty much just got off the phone as soon as she could. So I was just searching the website, frantically trying to find the story. And then when I did, um, I just got this, like my heart stopped and there was a real chill because the headline said that ByteDance had tracked journalists through their TikTok accounts. And that included tracking their physical locations as well. Um, So I was like scrolling through the story, trying to work out if it was me. It did say Financial Times journalist, but I called the press officer back up um, just to confirm that it was me, which it was. And then, yeah, I called my news desk. We got the internal emails that they had given and briefed the New York Times on. And then we wrote up the story ourselves. Journalist Christina Criddle has described what she says was the chilling moment that she discovered she'd been tracked by TikTok. Now look at this kitten. It seems innocent enough, but it was through her cat's account that the FT reporter found out she was being spied on. Four staff accessed her account data last summer to try to identify her sources for a story. And so journalist mode kicked in there, but how does human Christina feel knowing that she's been tracked by a multi-billion dollar company with links to China? Yeah, I mean, it was really, really shocking um, and, and really scary. That's never happened to me before. And perhaps I was naive in, in thinking that that wouldn't happen to me when I live in a democratic country that looks after journalists on the whole. So yeah, once I'd handed over the story... I was just quite shook trying to process it. And I was concerned for my sources as well because the whole reason they were looking at my location through the app is because they wanted to find out who my sources were, who the people inside the company who had been talking to me about the company, who had been giving me these stories, they needed to identify them. That was their whole mission. And they say that they didn't manage to identify them. I'm pretty confident that they didn't, but that was my concern as well that just these sources had really put their trust in me and that they'd been identified in the process. But it also seems strange to me 
with what I know and I there's not a lot I know and I keep asking TikTok for more details but two staff in the US and two staff in China were behind the tracking of of my data um they say that there was no instruction from above that it was just for employees and that they've now left the company but given the nature of my reporting has mostly been based in London and the EU that seemed quite strange to me and it also seemed quite strange that two employees in China would have access to this data when TikTok's always said that that would only be possible under really strict circumstances. Yeah, so I think I described it in my book as the little white lie that they they sometimes seem to tell. Um, you mentioned the sources there. As you kind of point out, this has a traumatic impact on you, but then it also ripples out from there. Did the sources that you or in contact with within TikTok, then get in touch with you about their concerns? Did they put two and two together? Or did you end up trying to assuage them of any fears that they might have? Yeah, I have had conversations with my sources about it. Um, when I returned to work after the Christmas holiday, um, I had a chat with our teams internally at the FT and put in a lot more security measures. And now I have quite a clear process that I follow whenever I'm meeting new sources or when I'm chatting to existing ones as well. So it's really at the top of my mind. And it's not necessarily something that would be front of a lot of these sources minds either necessarily. So it's hard because you don't want to scare people off. But at the same time, I need to make sure that they're safe and that I'm safe. Um, so whenever I chat to somebody new, I just lay it out very clearly about what we can do to try and minimize the risk. But ultimately, anybody who, who does speak to you is slightly at risk, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. And you said that you've kind of taken it for granted as a Western journalist that this doesn't happen because there is a kind of unwritten rule, right, which is journalists will always try and prod and poke and find people within companies to speak to them. You know, companies will always try and dissuade those within their organization from talking to you but ultimately they can only dissuade they can't you know they can introduce kind of tracking software on company devices and stuff which is why we always say try and contact us off those but mm. to go to the journalist is kind of a huge breach of decency law all sorts and most people when they want to speak to you want to speak to you about some form of wrongdoing they feel compelled to raise it and I think I expected tech companies to be tracking my behavior, to serve me personalized advertising. Obviously, we know that that happens. And I expected tech companies to be watching me closely. Um, but what I didn't expect was for a company to use their product for personalized surveillance, um, targeted at journalists and targeted at staff who dare speak out. Um, and I think that's just really, really worrying that if people at a company can behave like that in a democratic society, that really is a concern for me. Do you think it would have happened with your Facebook account or your Instagram account or your Twitter account or your Snapchat account? There have been allegations about Facebook doing this to um, journalists in the early days. I have never had that concern before, but then I didn't have that concern about TikTok either. So it really did catch me off guard. And so 
you know, there are allegations that this has happened elsewhere, but the obvious connection is TikTok is owned by a parent company that is based in a country where mass surveillance is normalized. Yeah, in in that country. And I think, well, you can't use TikTok in China. You're using yeah. Doyin, so you're using a different product. Um, for the everyday user, and I wouldn't say it's a huge concern. I think this is clearly a targeted attempt to track me. And again, activists, journalists, politicians, somebody who might be at risk might want to think twice about using TikTok. But that's something that each individual has to decide for themselves. And it was you, it was Emily Baker White at Forbes. It was, I believe, one other reporter. I think there was three that they identified here. TikTok's only confirmed two to me, and that's me and Emily Baker White. Um, I know that she has done some reporting, which has suggested it was more. And and she broke the original story mm. in October about this uh, and didn't reveal all of the details because of her sourcing. And TikTok denied the story and said it would never track journalists, which, again, just baffles me that that was a public statement made in October and then but it was admitted in December. And they said our reporting lacked integrity. And they said that TikTok had never been used to target uh, specific groups like politicians, activists, or journalists. And now we know maybe TikTok, whoever wrote that tweet, just didn't know at the time that that actually was happening. So it, it does feel vindicating to hear that the company has acknowledged that they did this and, and that they're taking responsibility for it. Do you think they genuinely didn't know? Do you think this was... Because TikTok's explanation of this, and yeah, I, I reserve judgment on whether you believe it or not, is this was bad apples acting independently without oversight or, or anything like that. This was, this was the equivalent of someone at Uber using their ability to access your information to see where you went and to get your phone number to text you after you go on a ride or, or something like that. Do you, do you think it was that insular? In my mind, even if it was for rogue employees, the fact still remains that you didn't have those security measures in place to prevent this from happening, or you didn't have adequate training, um, adequate oversight to prevent this from happening. And I've asked TikTok multiple times what security measures were in place to ensure that my data wasn't accessed by a random person in China, and they didn't answer. And I asked, what security measures have you put in place now? And I still don't have that detail. So my confidence in that not happening again is quite low. And the responsibility lies with the company, even if it is a rogue employee. Do you feel like you're owed an explanation for what's happened? Yes, I would really like an explanation. I've not received a full explanation. They've given me little details. They said it happened over summer. So I still don't know like exactly when or how many times or like where I was tracked. Was it at a coffee shop? Um, so they've given me some, but I would like the full details. Yeah, something awful happened to me. It was a huge breach of, of my privacy and a violation of my existence and my career. So I would like the full details, but I'm not confident I'm going to get them. Why? Because I've asked repeatedly. <laughs> but what is it, what is it, do you think, about, about disclosing that information that you think TikTok is so wary of. What do you think is kind of the, the hitch that prevents them from telling you that? I wouldn't like to speculate on what their perspective is or why they've chosen to do that. Um, 
You'll have to ask them, I guess, and I'll keep asking them as well. Maybe we'll get somewhere. Maybe. I haven't asked them if they've tracked me. Do you think that they have tracked other journalists? That's one of the questions I asked. Um, I sent a huge letter of, of questions and we asked if any other FT journalists had been tracked and they said no. Hmm. But again, when Emily wrote the story in October, they said it wouldn't be used. And like you say, maybe it wasn't known internally at the time. Which comes with its own issues. <laughs> yeah. How has it changed your interactions with them? I wouldn't say that it's changed them that much, to be honest. I still chat to the press office quite regularly. I'm still breaking stories on TikTok. Um, so the only thing that it's changed is I'm hyper aware for my safety and security and that of my sources. And, and what does this kind of whole thing tell us about the perception of free media? And because there's, there's lots of moving parts here, right? I guess there's, there is the rise of big tech platforms that are becoming bigger than governments and are essentially able to kind of dictate, I suppose, how the media operates. You know, we're speaking on a day where big tech executives have kind of said to the UK government, we might have to withdraw our our services, our products from your country because we disagree with your laws. If you don't get the amendments that you want to your satisfaction, will you go ahead with your threat to quit the UK? Look, we will never quit the UK willingly. We believe that everyone in the world... But unwillingly, you would quit the UK. We would be forced to quit because, again, there's no such thing as encryption that works for some and doesn't right. work for others. Does that either we also have... The China equation that we've talked about, where there's there's this kind of lingering uncertainty about this. Like, what is this twin rise of big tech and also of kind of a Chinese origin big tech company tell us about the shape of our free media going forwards? Hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm so interested in covering tech is that increasingly they are the powers that need to be held to account. I just wrote a story about how Meta is abandoning news pretty much. And they do hold a lot of power in terms of us being able to get our message out. And it's one of the things that actually, for a younger generation, I think it's so important to be on these social media platforms and get your stories out there. There's a lot of research and, and report from Ofcom recently as well saying this is where people get their news. So we have to be on these platforms and we have to be getting the message out. But we also still need to hold them to account. And I think there is a way to do that that ensures that we remain independent. But it just means we have to be fearless about it. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you have to poke the beast, I suppose. Um. There was a, you mentioned Emily Baker-White, who's been doing an awful lot of stuff on, on TikTok and has incredible sources also within the company. She recently reported on kind of 700,000 accounts of people in Turkey that had allegedly been compromised by, it seems like, the Turkish government. I mean, is this now kind of a, a live concern that these apps can be used to kind of snoop in on us not just tiktok necessarily but all of them 
It's a huge concern and I think that's why the encryption debate is so hot in the UK at the moment as well. And in countries like Iran, these platforms are actually also trying to help. So you see WhatsApp setting up proxy servers. But I think as people become more aware of how they can be tracked and how the devices that they're using might be used against them, you can then become more savvy and try and find apps like Signal that might work better for certain types of interactions. I think we're not going to be able to remove these devices from our lives. That's just not possible. And for a lot of people in these countries, having the internet and having these devices is really important to get the message out. So it's finding a way to work with what we've got and try and be empowered. Which is... uh... A huge challenge, right? Because we are beholden to these things and they're changing so much. You mentioned Signal there as kind of a, a lifeboat. And yet Meredith Whitaker, the sort of company head, is saying UK legislation changes might mean that they have to pull out of there. What impacts does this constantly shifting sand under our feet have? Well, I think it allows the ability for newcomers to come in, new platforms to come in, that could be interesting and exciting. Um, I think in terms of what's just happened in the UK with, with the amendment in the online safety bill, we'll see if that actually comes into force. Various powers like the Investigatory Powers Act have had similar abilities previously and they've not been enacted. That's not to say it's not a real concern. But when I asked the head of WhatsApp Will Cathcart about this, he just said, well, we'll do what we do in Iran and we'll just set up proxies. And if you already have WhatsApp downloaded on your phone, I imagine you can still carry on using it. It's a crazy thing, isn't it? We'll just do what we do in Iran in the UK. Yeah. And and obviously that's a that's a coded comment. Mm, Yeah, deliberately designed to, I guess, link the two. Um to bring us back to TikTok, because this is how we, we started the conversation. Yeah, there's so much regulation, so much chatter about whether this is safe or not. There's constant movement on this. Feels like we always have to kind of leap up whenever someone says something new about whether TikTok's going to be banned or not, or whether it's going to continue to exist. How do you think the TikTok story will end? I don't know. I'm really, yeah, I'm really unsure of what's going to happen. I don't see a sale happening because China said it wouldn't let that happen. And as I mentioned, China has control over the exports of the technology. Um, A ban in a place with First Amendment rights that prioritizes free speech. I don't know what that would look like. And it would enrage all the users of TikTok in the US. I think all eyes are on the US to see what happens in terms of like what the UK might do, what Europe might do. But it's really, it's really unclear for me. What do you think? I I don't know. You see, you're right. I think a sale is just impractical. I think that a ban is equally impractical because we've been down this route before, particularly in the US. And while the the attempt by Donald Trump's administration to ban it in in the summer of 2020 was you know sort of the equivalent of like writing a case on the back of a napkin and then slapping it down in court and obviously had so many logical holes in it that it was never going to to come about you're right the the first amendment the kind of precedent also that it sets 
because it's not just China, right? You know, we're seeing technology companies based outside of the US starting to crop up everywhere. And if you say, well, a foreign country is not allowed to build a company and bring it to the US, then suddenly all of these other companies and countries end up in, in the same boat. It's difficult to see because it, it sort of just feels like it will continue in this like five minutes to midnight situation from my mind and we'll constantly have the threat of this ban happening, but ultimately it'll never stand up. I could be wrong about that. Maybe we're both giving ourselves hostage to fortune here. In, in <laughs> I that. hate to predict things. Um, it feels like the heat has died down slightly now, though. It's all about AI. Yeah, God, yeah. And then something new will come up there as well, I'm sure. So it's a, it's a fascinating time to be a tech journalist, certainly. I know that much. Um, Christina Criddle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Tectonic, a new podcast from Article 19. We hope you'll join us for future episodes, which we'll be releasing every fortnight and looking at the wide variety of ways that the seismic shifts we're currently seeing in technology can affect our freedom of expression. I'm Chris Stokelwalker. Your producers this episode were Christopher Hooten and Nicola Kelly, with theme music and original score by Julian Wharton. Thank you, and see you next time.